Jesus Church College. Join hosts Richard Tamburo and Molly Inman as they chat with other faculty and guests about church, the Bible, theology, and learning the way of Jesus here in Portland. This week, we are looking at some of our favorite black theologians. Hi everyone, welcome to the podcast. I'm Richard and I'm here with Ryan and Hakeem. Hey everybody. What's up? And that was the most <laughs> awkward. <laughs> I felt awkward. I don't know why I felt so awkward. So sorry Ryan's being weird. Hopefully he improves. Uh, it is uh, it's February, which is Black History Month. And so we are going to do something. It's like an opportunity. Like yeah. this year... I mean, this has been big for me, like realizing the depth of racial problems and tensions and disparities and things in America. Mm-hmm. Like the last year was a real like, whoa, it's bigger than I had imagined, you know. Um, so then I feel like this month is like we, we've talked a lot about not just like, oh, yeah, it's good to have like, uh, a more multicultural approach to theology and the church and things like that. But we've we've said bigger things than that of like, yeah. yeah, when you've got like a monochromatic community doing theology, you are going to miss some things. Yeah. Like that the Bible actually has to say, you know. And so we said that a lot. And so this is like a really cool opportunity when our culture is celebrating like, hey, let's lean into exploring the richness of like what actually is in this country mm-hmm. and for us in the church and yeah talk about some of our favorite examples of this because maybe you've not read much theology from black the black church or black theologians or black history or things like that so we say this stuff and you're like oh yeah theoretically i guess that makes sense yeah but we want to put some meat on the bones example yeah. it a little bit right yeah and i think even in even when black theology is brought up the main name that comes up is James Cone. Right. And that's mm-hmm. like the extent of what a lot of people yeah. may know of about black. Well, theology. he's really famous. He's right. old enough. He's been around the block right. a few times. You yeah. know, it's like people, people have like, heard of him. Boom. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of controversy around him too, right? Yeah. So that's another reason why his name is so prominent. But there's a lot of good things James contributed. Rest in peace, by the way. Yeah. Um, yeah, and if, he's only if a slice you've of the never pie. read James Cone, yeah. sometimes you might like uh, see people... I mean, the typical thing is you'll see a meme on Facebook where mm. someone takes issue with something. Yeah. But he was also... like These people who are forerunners of movements mm. or conversations yep. often are like not just their work, but sometimes their character. They like to be that forerunner. They have to be like an agent provocateur. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then, so that's okay. They're trying to stimulate conversation. Yeah. Like the fact that they might be a bit reactionary sometimes or, you know, might extend something too far as yeah. they explore a new thing. Like, yeah. but if you actually read, so yeah, people have got issues, but if you read his stuff, there's so much of it that's just like rich and good and exciting yeah. and inspiring. He's a part of a, of a black theological lens, like African-American, we'll, we'll, we'll stay specifically in America, that has been a thing for like 300 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. since before like the inception of America as a yeah. independent nation, like the black church has been here. Yeah. So, and the interesting yeah. thing about him though, is he's like seventies, 
maybe probably 70s he's like prompt becomes 70s 80s yeah Yeah. he really blows up but the the interesting thing is like black theology arrives not on the scene Mm. but on the like academic scene yeah so he's like the first dude to be like yeah "Yeah, i'm gonna step in the ivory tower in the establishment Mm. like try to bring this conversation we all been having over here into connection with the rest of you all yeah and he's 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 just a slice of the pie, yeah. you know. Like there's so much richness, and that's why I think the other folks that we're bringing up to the table, and there's so many that we could talk about, like yep. men and women uh, within the academic world, but just a few. I just think it's yeah. it's dope to highlight some more and we slices. Should, uh, <laughs> by way of definition, mm. talk a bit about like black theology, even like because the guy I'm going to brag on, he actually I think he does represent black theology, but the bit yeah. of his theology I want to talk about, it doesn't really, it's not actually black theology, it's more like theology of reconciliation, which yeah. is a different thing. Yeah. But black theology is a term, like if you went to seminary, you could do a class on it, or you could get a, like on my desk at the moment, I've got the Cambridge Companion to black theology, which is really I interesting, by the way. Mm. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah. It's like really multi, because there is like, Especially, I mean, we're in America, but when you say black theology, you think of a lot of American mm-hmm. theologians or mm-hmm. pastors or people. Yeah. But actually, that book has like British Jamaican mm-hmm. and British Indian. Yeah. And then like, yeah, just I'm yeah. picking the British guys because they're like people I had friends in those <laughs> groups and they'd stand out to me. But yeah, yeah it's a real like worldwide look at theology. So that's a cool book. Yeah. But we're not talking about that one. So yeah. Yeah, okay. which you should cop on Amazon, by the way, if you are interested. But like, when so what's I, what's black theology then? I mean, broadly, yeah, broadly is just a, an understanding or an attempt to understand God through the expression and reflection of black culture, right? Predominant black culture, we'll say, right? Like, because there's subgenres to black culture yeah. within America. For example, you, like I have Caribbean blood and Caribbean culture. But also you have folks who are black in Europe or black mm-hmm. in America or wherever. There's all over. But the basis is generally is just the cultural expression from a black framework yeah. or lens or yeah, just cultural framework. And it's interesting because there's not you can't do a class in seminary on white theology. Yeah. Well, not yet. <laughs> but it's interesting because we I mean, we've said this lots of times on the podcast as well. Like your experience, your worldview, your culture, your perspective shapes things you're able to grasp, ways you see things Mm -hmm. as you interact with God's truth in scripture, just there's going to be things that come easy, things that come hard. And when it comes to applying it to the world, like things you can see, but things that you might not. And it's it's interesting because the reason you don't do a class on white theology is almost because it's assumed that theology from the predominantly (laughs) like white European middle-class suburban theologites is just like it's the theology mm-hmm. and then black theology's this like unusual a, yeah. version shaped by blackness yeah it's actually no it's a like, little all of our theology is shaped <laughs> by a culture black yeah. theologians are just owning it up front and being like hey because we've been marginalized we're super aware of how our culture shapes things yeah so we can own and it's a, in in a way that's even healthier because mm. then you're just like man let's Let's talk about our presuppositions and mm-hmm. how our experiences shape things yeah. and make that a part of the conversation. Whereas sometimes for white people from certain backgrounds, you can be blind 
to that and then you yeah. see people with other experiences and cultures and instead of thinking oh cool you're different or you see things differently you can be like you're wrong mm -hmm. you know yeah nobody comes to the text or to a theological framework like blank no, when it comes no. to their cultural baggage nobody yep. so like being from a historical like lens when you look at black theology in america always has cultural implications because if you think about slaves to people who experience segregation and Jim Crow to folks who may even experience mass incarceration or whatever or even the, the things just currently like to this actual day um, they are looking at the scriptures hopefully as a tool of hope and I think Esau talks about that in Reading Wild Black like it's, it's a tool for hope and, or yeah, just a resource of hope for those plights that they face, right? Yeah. So that's cultural baggage. We at least understand that. I know I do, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And the interesting thing is oh, there's so many layers to like why it's so good to not keep your way of exploring God within just your culture. Yeah. Because like, like I said, oh, yeah, there might be stuff like someone with a different experience might see something that I would miss. Mm -hmm. But also for a people who are battling oppression with that experience, then like there's some application and strengths of like what does God have to say about these things? Yeah. That I was thinking the other day of just how it applies. I mean, because we often there's conversations about like in the in terms of social justice and the social fabric and politics and things like that which is cool but also like if you were then like just found out you had terminal cancer mm. and were like how do i find hope in the midst of suffering mm -hmm. like yeah going to people who've spent hundreds of years in a trajectory of navigating what god has to say to them in spaces where that's been like a dominant narrative it's like, wow, like yeah. what a resource. So it's yeah. it's not just to do with social justice and those big things, but like there's deeply personal, like individual things to learn from different people as well. Yeah. Yeah. You got any thoughts, Ryan? <laughs> no. That's brilliant. I like we thought Ryan had something to say. And so just, You both looked at me and I was like, What it's what? like we have conspired to <laughs> just mess with Ryan today. Oh, great. <laughs> Which I gotta say, like Sometime we should have a guest on and do. We should do it to Molly. Mm. She's a, li a little bit gullible. She'd fall for it. We could wind her up. A conspiracy. So write in with your best suggestions of how we can frame Molly on the podcast, and we'll go with oh, it. This is perfect. Uh, do you know what I like? By definition, so talk to you a little bit what black theology is, and it's kind of a spectrum as well. Mm -hmm. Like different black experiences, different yeah. parts of black experience that are then brought in the foreground as like, how, how can we learn through that? Yeah. But then another um, sort of subset of theology or term that's really common to bump into, because I'm thinking people might listen to this and be like, oh, cool, I'm inspired to like go read a bit. Mm. Um, but then you want to be able to navigate like yeah. what you read and or yeah. what to read. Yeah. And so the, the other term is liberation theology. Mm -hmm. So that's another, like you're going to for sure bump into that as an yeah. idea. Um, so now, like, let's throw that one Ryan's way because you've been kind of quiet, Ryan. Come on, give yeah. us the lowdown. You got like, any thoughts? <laughs> what's the deal with liberation theology? Yeah. Um, I, the thing is, is liberation theology is a little bit broader because you, you're going to, uh, honestly, actually, uh, uh, I, I would consider more the father of 
liberation theology, as that term goes, uh, to be Gustavo Gutierrez, mm-hmm. um, who's a Latino uh, theologian. Yep. And he's writing from his very specific Latino context yeah. um, and, and through that framework. Yeah. Um, and so liberation theology is, uh, whenever I hear that, I, I think more often in, in those terms and, and think of Gutierrez. Um, and then there's and then there's like black liberation theology. But... Um, yeah, it's like a big field, like a big spectrum. Yeah, exactly. Again, so it? it's yeah. kind of it's kind of the larger umbrella in yeah. which like a black liberation theology or like a Latino liberation theology or like an indigenous yeah. uh, liberation theology might yeah. be the smaller umbrellas that. And you've got versions of that. it all around the world, actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but I I would say one of the one of the biggest ways to just try and think of what liberation theology is seeking to do is from a textual basis, they're going to primarily look at who God is in terms of a, being a liberator. Mm-hmm. And so they, they turn to the Exodus. They, they turn straight to, to Exodus uh, 14, 15, and start looking at God as the one who liberates his oppressed people mm-hmm. who are under the hands of the Egyptian slave masters yeah. and brings them out mm-hmm. of Egypt, brings them into the promised land, and, you know, safely and... and uh, actually, you know, throws a big old vast red sea on top of the oppressors. Um, <laughs> and that God is a, a liberating uh, yeah. God. And so for James Cone, this becomes huge yeah. as, um, and, and this is uh, some of the things he says out of that is basically that he has, uh, he would say he basically has no time for a God that is not first and foremost, a liberating God who seeks after the oppressed people that mm-hmm. God's heart is turns after and, and uh, cares for the oppressed people and is against the oppressor. Um, and, and then how he frames that in, as far as his own modern context and what that looks like between white and black and yeah. uh, him you know, having to navigate through Jim Crow laws in his lifetime and, and yeah. how that's affected his theology. That's where he becomes uh, rather controversial. But th- that, that's the best way, to, I, I think, to think yeah. through liberation theology is the exodus. Yeah. Yeah. And like you say, there's, a, there's sometimes a controversial aspect of um, I don't know. I've seen people be like, "Oh, liberation theology is people who think the gospel is all about just liberation, mm-hmm. and if it's not that, it's not the gospel." And then, yeah, I get where we might disagree or say, like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, there's." But then I've also seen like people be. It's funny. You and I were talking about this the other day of like, what's the salvation prayer look like? And some mm-hmm. people are like. The only way I can interact with God as my Lord and Savior is to pray like, I'm a sinner, I repent, Jesus, forgive me. Mm-hmm. And we were both recounting like times we've talked to people about, yeah, but could accepting Jesus look like, man, I'm like broken and a, like in actual slavery. Mm-hmm. Like I'm trapped and I need yeah. someone to free me, yeah. like to actually release mm-hmm. me and, and not just be my savior in like, oh yeah, one day I'll be in heaven, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But like actually make a difference where I actually get freed. And so it's a kind of, um, I think there's versions of liberation theology that we as more like shaped by yeah. more, I don't know, traditional orthodox views about the gospel or yeah. be like, we've learned from it to have a fuller view of the gospel, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, um, which is, yeah. It's really cool and challenging. And I can sense the hesitation. I'm going to just say this. Uh, 
if you're listening to this, please do not quickly attribute critical theory, critical race mm. theory, yep. Marxism, socialism to black theology. Yeah. Like I'm I'm really tired of hearing that stuff. Yep. First off, black theology has been a thing since the beginning of the Jesus movement. If we're talking about people with darker complexed, mm-hmm. you know, complexion skin, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of that in the Bible, right? Yeah. <laughs> and after the and Jesus throughout movement. Church history. And throughout church like history. You look at the richness of the Coptic church trying to figure oh. out how to be Jesus people amidst the invasion of, you know, the Mongols or Absolutely. things like this. Like it's this ain't new. Ethiopia, mm-hmm. Nubia, yep. e- like, come on. So there's a long tradition here that was before Karl Marx and critical theory and the Frankfurt School, all of that. I just had to yep. throw that out yep. there and just say, do not do that. Um, actually yep. take the time to read people. Yep. And yes, there are some black theologians who may be influenced by the ideologies of stuff, some stuff that I just named, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. But discern and nuance stuff, please. Like, let's practice the gift of discernment here. Yep. That's Absolutely. What I'm yeah, there's a lot of like, oh, I heard you I heard you say something that's similar to what I heard a critical race theorist say, therefore I think you're influenced by or mm. sold over to and then someone might respond and be like, No, I'm just borrowing a useful term they came up with or yeah. no, yeah. I'm using that term but differently because I'm a theologian. Yeah. Yeah. Like or actually, yeah, I think there's a whole host of problems with it, yeah. but I think there's this one thing they say really well that I want to affirm and use yeah. because then that helps me build a bridge to some other people who don't know Jesus but are interested in social justice or, yeah. and are probably a whole manner of other things as well, right? Yeah. But so often the baby gets thrown out with the bathwater. It's like, man, that was a trigger for me. I got to like, get rid of everything that guy said yeah, because like, no. that one sentence was a trigger for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, okay. Just a little disclaimer. And we will, like, because there's a ton of questions about that, we are going to do a podcast or two. We'll probably get into that and talk about it. So yeah. if, if you're like, I don't know anything, what you just said. That's, hey, that's actually fine. That's good. Up, sometime in the future, if you're interested, we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, I think it ultimately comes down to, like, it, it, it would just be unfair for anyone, anywhere, at any time to, to hear a term like black theology and try and lump it in and therefore lump all people who would consider themselves doing black theology uh, or or learning from black theology to be learning from that specific sort of Marxist sort Mm -hmm. of, you know, critical theory based kind of theology in the same way that it would be unfair if someone asked me a certain question um, about being reformed or something Mm -hmm. like that. And and me being like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm doing broadly reformed theology for the most part because the theology I'm doing is post-reformation and Mm -hmm. therefore largely informed by those conversations. But if what you mean by reformed theology is this very narrow specific sort of thing, then Mm -hmm. I would probably say no. But what is required is that you give me a definition of the term you're using when you ask me if I'm doing that. And education comes into this because so often where we're not educated, we don't, we're not able to see or articulate the nuance, but we're used to being nuanced in so many, like if you were like, Oh, you're British. You must like tea. I'm like, no, I don't like tea. I hate tea. (laughs) If you turn around and were like, oh, so you you can't be British. I'm like, no, no, I'm British. I just don't like tea. Yep. Like we've got space for this sort of nuance all over the place. And it's just sometimes it's like, uh, and this is one of these, like, I have to check my heart because I've had opportunity to learn so I can see there's a lack of nuance and I can get frustrated. Mm -hmm. But good for us to be aware when people might call us out and be like, hey, I think it 
we might want to have like a more complicated conversation here. Otherwise, mm -hmm. we ain't mm -hmm. going to make sense. Yeah. That you might want to just pause and do a bit of learning. Yeah. yeah. Do you actually not like tea? No, nah, I hate tea. Can't, oh. can't abide it. See, look. <laughs> I knew there was a reason why you and I got along so well. I'm, okay. There's a few black teas that I, I can stomach and I'll drink, but because it's like I kind of really want coffee, but it's probably too late that I have that. So I'll drink tea yeah. instead and it feels less. I like the smell of coffee, but caffeine. I think I just had too much yeah. like, coffee in the 80s. Y'all like black tea and black coffee as you read black, black theology yeah. while you're talking with your God's black people, though. Black just to be clear, God's people <laughs> drink hot chocolate. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love it. All right, let, let's let's uh, brag on some of our favorite guys here. So who wants to go first? I'll, I'll go first. Okay. Um, so yeah. who is it? Give us a little about them. Tell us the Tell us like a favorite book if anyone's like, that sounds cool. I want to read a bit. Yeah. And then we'll put the links to any books we mentioned in the notes. Yeah. So feel free to chime in though. Um, I have Carl Ellis Jr. This is a guy I came across uh, my first go around in seminary. I was taking a, a class with um, a pastor. Uh, his name is Chuck Bomar. This is like a year and a half ago. And he was like, yeah, let's let's read this book by Carl Ellis. And I was like, who is that? And read this book called The Free at Last, subtitle, The Gospel in the African-American Experience. And Carl Ellis is an author. He's a lecturer, a preacher, theological anthropologist, as he would say. But he's also a professor at Reformed Theological uh, Seminary. And this book is just gold. Like he goes through the movements of like black theology throughout the centuries and ages. Like he goes, you have um, slavery times and how black Christians have navigated that. Then you get into the more segregationist Jim Crow eras. This is just specifically in his book um, where he talks about black consciousness movements like the Malcolm X's and the mm -hmm. Nation of Islam and these notions that uh, Christianity is the white man's religion. But then he also flips the script and say, well, there were also black Christians who led the civil rights movement, MLK, Rosa Parks, like you, you just name a bunch of folks. He also mentioned, you know, like Frederick Douglass and Sojourner Truth from the from the slavery times. And then he got into more modern day stuff. But he just takes us on a theological journey through black history in America. And it was some stuff that I was very aware of and some things that I just was like, I never put those two dots together. Yeah. So he started to paint a, a picture for me just of the American black context of yeah, just our people in the faith. It, it was just brilliantly. And this book is from 19, this edition, I think is from 1996. So it's, it got some, some, some age on it. It's almost as old as I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just to, yeah. It, IVP, the publisher just came out with like a, a classics, like signature edition of it because it's, uh, it's legitimately gold. a classic yeah. at this point. Yeah. yeah. So. And what he, one part that he talks about is, um, the notion of white man's religion. I think I even talked about this the first podcast I was on here with like Timmy Burley and you. Yeah, yeah. When I grew up in this this faith that believed black people are supreme, it was like really like a form of black supremacist thought as a reaction to racism in the 1960s mm -hmm. or so by this dude named Clarence who was like, I'm a part of the Nation of Islam, but they didn't take it far enough. Malcolm and all of those guys and Elijah Muhammad, they didn't go far enough. We're the actual supreme beings on earth. White people are the the 
products of a mad scientist named Yakub. And it just gets wild. It gets really janky. So they take elements from the Quran, take elements from the Bible, and just mix it all up. And it's called the nation of gods and earths. So black men are gods and black women are earths. It's this whole hodgepodge of stuff. But that's what I grew up in. So yeah. I had this frame. And if you if you listen to a lot of 90s hip hop, a lot of those rappers are actually from this belief system. If you listen to their lyrics, and oh, they're like indoctrinating you as you go, like the Wu-Tang Clan or the Diggable Planets. Like I could just name a bunch, but this is all a response to something, at least from my judgment. So I grew up with this notion that Christianity is a white man's religion. And to know the history prior to slavery of black Christians, or at least Christians with dark skin, we'll just say that, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's so ingrained throughout church history it's impossible for it to be a white man's religion. And then for also, just in America alone, to know about the AME and everything that is transferred from Richard Allen on down, like where we are today, I can't sit here and ever believe again that this is the the constructed faith of Europe. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting even just in that broad brush how mm -hmm. our heritages lead to like a different interaction with the same ideas. Yep. So where I might learn from that book, like, wow, like I got to include these people because they've been a part of the story, yeah. but like the church has found ways to try and like write them out of it. Mm -hmm. So I like, it stirs me up to be like, wow, I'm missing something. I want to reach out and include some people. Mm -hmm. But then for you, it's, it's a flip of that of like, oh, I'm not alienated. Like I am included. Mm -hmm. Like it affirms something over you. Yeah. It's just, I mean, even that, that's a radical difference. And here we are, we work together, we live in the same city. And yeah. like, what a radical difference. And like, we read the same book and get something so different out of it. <laughs> it just shows how profound those differences can be. Like, make a difference, right? Absolutely. And and Carl talks about, you know, like the, the curse of ham and mm. the misconceptions and all of that stuff. Like oh, yeah, ham, ham some of that he... wackadoodle theology that's yeah. out there. Like stuff that was used to justify the enslavement of African peoples, the mm -hmm. descendants of Ham. And it's just like when you actually read Gen was that Genesis 9, you actually read that passage or that, that section of scripture. First of all, Ham isn't cursed. It's Canaan, for one. But also, this isn't a curse of black people to now be uh, uh, doomed to be servants of the descendants of Yapheth and Seth. Yeah. Or Shem, sorry, Shem, whatever. Anyways, getting all my, my Bible names mixed up. But he <laughs> deconstructs that. And he's like, no, that's actually a false retelling of the story. Yeah, It's not it at all. We are not cursed people. Mm -hmm. And our black skin is not cursed. Yeah, It's actually like a, a one of the colors that God paints his creation with. Like we are, <laughs> we are a part of a beautiful creation, not the products of a fallen one. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's important to like Ellis and his heritage and background, like he's in a position to see and call out this bad theology in a way that like, because it doesn't affect me if, if yeah. I'm not being oppressed or really affected by it in any way, mm -hmm. like, because we, we don't really critically examine things until we're motivated. Like yeah. push has got to come to shove at some point for mm. us to be like, whoa, wait a second. Yeah. But hey, here we got some people who are being affected. And like, yeah, yeah Carl Ellis then is one of those people. Yeah. And yeah. they're actually correcting 
theology that's hung around, not mm. just been out there like on the fringe, but hung around in the mainstream for hundreds of years yeah. and be like, wait a second, mm. you know? Yeah. So it's, yeah, amazing opportunities to learn. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the, the last bit I'll try to get into a little bit within this book and just his work, like he gets into the black consciousness movements, which have been prominent throughout the 1900s for sure, and even today, where you got not only the Nation of Islam, but you have like Science Moore's Temple, or you might have like a black spirituality, which can be ambiguous and flexible and bending to all different types of stuff. Um, there's so many black identity cults that are today. Like you can look up and read so many, but it's all coming from a place of who am I? That's foundationally what I'm at least observing, and I could be wrong on that, is who am I? Who have who have I been incorporated with or or incorporated into something with? What does it mean to be black? Right? If you think about a lot of if it ain't for ancestry.com or 23andMe or whatever other DNA test we got, black people in this country for them, if you didn't immigrate here. For the most part, you have no idea where you come from. So when you got these black identity cults telling you you're the original people of Israel, like the Hebrew Israelites, right? Or you got folks saying you're the lost tribe of Shabazz, which is the nation of Islam, right? Or you are such and such. You are gods and earths. And that, that's going to catch your ear. You're speaking to a felt need, which is yeah. mm -hmm. I need to know who I am and where I come from. So when you got these groups saying this is exactly how I will show you. Let's look at history. Christianity didn't do it for you because this is a religion that oppressed you and enslaved mm. you. You had no idea about Christianity until the white man came to the African continent and did some trading with some other Africans or whatever and da-da-da-da-da. This was like, no, if you don't know about church history, then that's going to be very appealing. But when you read the facts of church history, you can't get to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. So... There's just so many hoops to jump through. Yeah. And, and that's an understanding yeah. of the past, but it's also like that will just so clue you in to like, wow, the opportunities for mission, mm -hmm. like right in front of me yeah. with where people are coming from. And mm -hmm. like so much a mission is you can't understand how to communicate the gospel or the love of Christ to someone yeah. till you know them. Mm -hmm. And we got this weird fractured culture. Yeah. So... It yeah. makes it challenging, but it also means once you understand it, you can like be strategic and like know how to engage someone and love someone well and bless them and stuff like that. Yeah, and it's not honoring to say, well, like, yes, we all know there's one human race. Race is a construct, all of that stuff. But to say, hey, like, stop talking about your blackness and what that contributes to the, the church and the body and all of that stuff. Like, that's not honoring at all. That's actually very disrespectful. Yeah. Because at least in my particular subculture, my skin color, my cultural background, my ethnicity, it's a part of who I am. Yeah. Like it's a it's a reflection of God's imagination. Mm -hmm. So for you to discount that or just say, no, 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 no. Galatians 3.28, first of all, it's not about uniformity. It's about diversity and union, for mm -hmm. one. I don't stop being a black dude because now I'm <laughs> saved. Like, come on now. So don't quote that in spite of, quote that, to, to say, like, we've been unified regardless of how different we look or where we come from and all of our ethnic differences. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do the same thing with gender, right? Right. It's like we, we're at a church that 
generally has a lot of people that believe there are real God-designed differences between men and women. Mm -hmm. And the cultures then slap the whole bunch of dysfunctional other stuff on top of that. (laughs) But, But there's differences. But we also believe like we're one humanity and especially in Christ we're one humanity. But that oneness doesn't mean that like we now are going to throw out any ideas that mm-hmm. like the only differences are that girls have bumps up the jumpers. Like yeah. we, we were able to have like the unity with the diversity. Like it yeah. is a good blend. Those two. Yeah. It, yeah. It's God's imagination on full display. Yeah. And it's that revelation image, right? Mm-hmm. What's the, what's the party at the end of like star Wars? You know, it's like that, <laughs> that thing, right? All the nations, tribes, <laughs> tongues. It's yeah. that multifaceted, variegated <sighs> expression of God's image yeah. that goes so much further than just male and female, mm. but is actually yeah. wildly creative. Yeah. And here we are, partway through God's history. Mm. Who knows how much more varied it's going to become as yeah. well. Like, yeah. 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 So that's Carl Ellis. That's Carl Ellis. All right, get into that. Enjoy. I'm going to go next. Yeah. So... I, uh, there's a bit of a journey here of like over the last year, um, just learning about like reconciliation, especially like wanting to like read more, think more about that in the midst of seeing so much disunity. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, like part of the middle of the year was like Black Lives Matter and racial disunity and not just disunity, but like, uh, irreconcilable fractures between mm. different ethnic groups. But then it's also like we move further on the year and it's like different people on the political spectrum mm. or like the left-right ecclesiological spectrum and just there's so much of it. Um, and one of the things that was interesting in then reading black theologians and not just black theologians, but like um, Asian American theologians mm-hmm. um, as well, theologians from like South Africa, um, I was, like uh, a favorite of mine, Jürgen Moltmann, who is a German theologian, but he's old enough to have like, his theology engages questions like, what does it look like for a country, a nation to come out of Nazism and try mm. and heal itself and reconcile yeah. with the rest of the world again? Yeah. So like these profound challenges like this and something that ke- keeps bubbling to the surface is the role of lament. And so there was a really popular book last year by, um, I think it was Sung Chan Ra, called, was it Prophetic Lament, I think? Mm -hmm. That was really good on this. But I actually chose a book, um, it's called Born from Lament, and it's by this guy, Emmanuel Katangole. And he's um, Ugandan, um, and he's a Catholic bishop in Uganda, but he also does some work in America, teaches in America. Um, and he's all about like theology of reconciliation and stuff like this. So the interesting thing about this book, he's written a few books about stuff like this, but um, it's sparked by like being in Uganda and talking to people and hearing their stories. And he had the opportunity to go to Rwanda. And I don't know if you'll remember from your history lessons, but in the mid nineties, there was a huge genocide in Rwanda that led to civil war in the Congo and, um, you know, like between a million and sorry, between half a million and a million people dead, mm-hmm. um, roughly like a quarter to a half a million girls raped, yeah. like uh, just 
millions of people displaced, like just horrific. And he, he begins by talking about this one woman he met and she tells her story that she was, uh, her daughter was captured um, along with, and this was like famous in the news. I think it was like 138 or like it was a lot of girls from a school all captured by a rebel army. Mm. Um, and they would go, you know, to be either sex workers or um, child brides yeah. for soldiers. Um, and so she then, you know, becomes an activist. So she's on the radio, she's on the TV, she's in newspapers, but she's like an activist for like, this is unjust. Like, I want my girl home. Mm. And uh, the rebels, she's such a thorn in the side of like their efforts to not just fight with weapons, but fight with propaganda that they offer. Like, if you will stop the activism, you can have your daughter back. Mm. But during this time, her activism has led her into this like deep community with other parents whose children were taken. And so they offer her, they're like, if you'll stop, we'll bring your daughter right back now. She says, no. Wow. She says, no, because how could I get one of my children back and, and not get all of them back? Mm. They are all my children. And so Emmanuel Katangole is just like, wow. I don't understand. Like I, I don't understand where the kind of moral wide Jesus-shaped vision for others. Like, where does the moral center come from for you to be able to be so powerful mm -hmm. in that moment and make that call? You know, knowing her daughter's getting raped and abused and, you yeah. know, just like... Um, and then he basically... He, that led him on an exploration around that region to like look at the art and stories and history and, and lives and liturgy of people who have a rich connection with the Christian faith. Uh, and there's loads of Christian movements and Christian churches, but a broad yeah. heritage of Christianity as well. And how like lament had been a tool. Like it's like, how, how do you get that strong? Lament. Is how you got that strong, mm. and so it's it's a really rich book, kind of exploring um, lament, and it's just kind of interesting. I I picked up on man, it's like underlined about half this book, so <laughs> this is like I, I like pick some stuff to talk about here, but um, I underlined a bit at the beginning here, like a key. Here's how he says the central argument of his book. He says, in the midst of suffering. Hope takes the form of arguing and wrestling with God. If we understand it as lament, such arguing and wrestling is not merely a sentiment, mm. not merely a cry of pain. It's a way of mourning, of protesting to, appealing to, and engaging God, and a way of acting in the midst of ruins. That's just like powerful. I mean, this guy writes beautifully and loads mm. of the people he quotes write beautifully all these stories um and it's this idea that like there's a there's a kind of hope which isn't just optimism but it's like the ability to see the need for transformation and to be motivated to pursue it that's like real tangible hope that can only be born in lament yeah um, and so really interesting stuff in here about 
And, and it was really interesting because he's writing this book primarily to his African brothers and sisters about, because Africa is a continent that often gets written off as like broken, irreparable. Primitive. You know? yeah. yeah. But also its history is like, it's fluctuated between phases of optimism and then phases of pessimism. Mm -hmm. And he's like, we can't just be like bounced around and not make progress. So yeah. he's actually like, I want to write, uh, like I think there's some theology that will help us actually change. But here I am, like a million miles, well, not a million miles away, 10,000 miles away in another country, another context, and just being so richly challenged about like, yeah, like in the West, especially the white middle class kind of West, like we do sometimes power through pain with optimism. Mm -hmm. Not with the kind of hope he's talking about, but just optimism. And I've seen, like I've seen people put comments on social media to like people who are lamenting or sharing, especially around the racial conversations. Mm -hmm. And people are like, well, can't you just focus on the good stuff? Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's the opposite of what he's saying is needed and not just what he has observed is actually effective in Africa, but he then went and took like Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations and the Psalms and like walked these people through their stories and invited them to think about these laments in scripture, Yeah. which by the way, like 40% of the book of Psalms is lament. Mm -hmm. Like lament isn't like a fringe thing in scripture mm -hmm. and lament isn't just in the Psalms. Like it's a dominant part of the literature and prayer yeah. life of scripture. And so, and they, they found that actually scripture like unlocked this possibility within them and fueled it and gave voice to it. And so then here I am looking at like the hot mess of disunity and need for reconciliation, need for hope. I mean, even just like coronavirus hope, right? And I'm like, yeah. here's a dude who, who because of, stories like this woman in Rwanda has like been led into a realization something that was in scripture all along. Mm -hmm. And then like loads of this book is unpacking the scriptures, which yeah. is amazing. Um, but it's, I mean, it's sort of profound insights into things like he's got a whole section of a chapter that's about how when God is silent, it's not because he's not answering our prayers. What the scripture shows us is that when God is silent, it's because he's lamenting and suffering with us. Mm. And, and like, some people are uncomfortable with that. Yeah, some people like, don't like God that. God is, is suffering. Because God is emotional. It's we've like, got yeah. a narrative of God, a God who isn't just liberator, isn't just savior from sin, but we've got a narrative of God who helps us get victory. Mm. And we measure whether God's with us by whether we're victorious. Yeah. And here's a bunch of people who've been so deep in suffering so long, they have learned how to connect with God in suffering. Yeah. And that suffering isn't a sign of God's absence, but it's actually a time when you can discover God's presence, wrestle with it in order to move forward. And like, there's a beautiful phrase, uh, one of the people's stories, it was something like, um, like there are some things in this world, I speaking of like God and hope, that only the eyes who have cried can see. Mm. And so it's just... Mm. Yeah, really, really interesting. And it, and and so Emmanuel Katangoli is an amazing theologian, but he's also like an anthropologist. So he's using these people's stories to give life 
and like put meat on the bones of the theology that's in like lamentations and the psalms and mm -hmm. things like this um so you, like there's a lot of personal stories in his work where you're really learning from like where you can see a life and like god is reflecting himself in this life yeah you know and we tend to like hear the testimonies of people who've like conquered something right they're the that's who you get on stage and give the mic to, right? That that story. And these are different stories mm. that we don't often lean into. Yeah. Um, and then he brings scripture like alongside it so beautifully. And so, yeah, a profoundly challenging book. But yeah. like, especially for this time, I'm like, I, I think I would have read this and liked the book any other time. Mm. But in this, after this year, in a year when we're like, we need hope, mm -hmm. I'm just like, okay, I got like, especially as a pastor, like I got to be a specialist in learning how to like teach people how to lament, yeah, um, because we ain't good at it, mm. and so, yeah, that's my five ten minutes on my soapbox talk about this guy, <laughs> but yeah, awesome, <laughs> so really recommended, yeah, Ryan. Who Who's are you bragging on? Uh, I, I'm I'm gonna spend some more time. I know we did this. The three of us did this in a whole podcast together. But I'm just gonna spend some more time bragging on Esau McCauley, guys. Introducing <laughs> this this guy. I'm just like even scrolling through his Twitter feed right now. I'm like, yeah, he, yeah I picked the right guy. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> uh, so so let me say this real fast. One, he's, he's like the Michael Jordan. Of theology right now yeah yeah absolutely collecting rings yeah he's he's just <laughs> he's working got, his way up and in, in, in the goat conversation <laughs> he's just he's gonna be he's gonna be it yeah. but uh so just by way of a little bit of background on him he's uh he's new up and coming definitely early career just published his first book back in september uh, reading while black that's the book that we did a podcast second on book reviewing if you don't count his dissertation yeah that's true uh, i should say yeah i should say second book cuz he mm -hmm. did he yeah. did get his dissertation published yeah. dissertations um, are just normally hard to read unless yeah. you're like and they're usually really expensive but i think he finally got a paperback version okay. made of his dissertation <laughs> so it's now like 80 bucks instead of like 120 bucks so yeah. you know it's like more affordable for yeah. i guess <laughs> yeah. yeah uh so anyway um He's uh, he did his uh, PhD at um, St Andrews under um, NT Wright. Um, I'm sure y'all are familiar with NT Wright. Um, yeah, and then uh, wrote wrote this book. His first book on the scene is a book called Reading While Black, mm -hmm. which is just to to come out of the gate writing a book like that mm -hmm. is already says something about uh, one what he's seeking to do with his career. Yeah. The fact that he's just like he just recognizes who he is, his identity, he's going to embrace that and he's going to be a scholar mm. that shows that he's embracing that from from the start. Yeah. yeah. That when he reads the Bible, he reads as a black man. Mm -hmm. And there's no shame in that. He's not going to apologize for that. He's not going to give a bunch of caveats for that. Mm -hmm. He's just going to read as a black man. Yeah. And if you're going to if you're going to read him, you're going to read the insides of a black man reading the Bible mm -hmm. and you're going to learn something different than what you would if you read somebody else. Yeah. talking about the Bible. Yeah. And uh, and then from there, he said, it's not just enough that people read me and my insights from reading from my own social location. He wants to try and help other people to be able to make a name for themselves or, or you know, not necessarily fame-wise, but 
be able to step out into that with the same amount of confidence that mm-hmm. was given to him um, to be able to do that. So he's editing a book right now called The New Testament in Color, um, which is a whole New Testament commentary in one volume um, with each commentary written by another scholar who's either a woman, a woman of color, or uh, he, or some other you know male uh biblical scholar yeah. of, of color so it's not mm-hmm. just black or yeah not just male, but there's like a yeah. real multi-faceted mm-hmm. shape to it yeah. yeah and just trying to give them all a space to be able to just write and read the bible from their own social location and produce those insights and help us all learn from that yeah and uh so so he does that he's he's writing commentaries right now for um a, a few different like major commentary series that have been around for a, a long time, like the word biblical commentary. And then um, one that's a kind of a, a newer one, uh, the story of God commentary uh, on different Pauline uh, books within the new Testament. And he's just on his Twitter feed as he's working through these books and writing these commentaries, he's kind of asking and getting uh, ideas from other people, but he's also just kind of putting out his own insights. And it's very clear that as he writes these commentaries, he's not setting aside his blackness for the sake of writing this academic commentary where mm-hmm. everybody else is usually tried to set aside whatever their presuppositions are. He's just like, I can't do that even if I wanted to. So mm-hmm. how about I just own them, work through them and where maybe they get me in, if they were to get me in trouble because I read too much of my presupposition into the text, I'm going to show where I let the text read that and, yeah. and shape me in spite of yeah. those things. Which he's really upfront about in the Reading While Black book, which is yeah. interesting because it's in some ways like a really good book about hermeneutics, like how to interpret the Bible. Because yeah. there is, like you say, some people are like, yeah, we got to like recognize what we're bringing to the text like take those glasses off and then like see the text with neutral eyes. Mm-hmm. Problem is you never really get neutrality. Exactly. And he's yeah. got some great discussion about like, well, what does a sensitive, okay, these are my glasses. So I'm going to be good at this, but I got this. Yeah. And then like, and then read it, but like allow your knowledge and your awareness, that self-awareness of that stuff to then like give you the space to breathe into what, what might be unique to your perspective to yeah. explore that, but not be bound by it either. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and so, and, and the thing is, is that we've, we've ignored for too long the fact that that's, that's the way we actually just read the text naturally mm-hmm. uh, is, is with, with those lenses on, but trying not to be bound by them. And so he, he first, before reading while black came out, he wrote a Washington post article, which this is another thing like this, this guy is so early career but he's already writing like monthly for the Washington Post. He just got signed on as uh, like a monthly contributor to uh, the New York Times um, for editorial yeah. pieces. Like, and we should say he's popular, not because because sometimes people are popular, like because they're gonna be on like some weird news channel as, mm, yeah, you know, like everything they say makes some people want to burn the world to the ground, kind of. He's just like super intelligent, super insightful, like so much wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, and faithful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, he's, his, he's just like the kind of guy you want to respect. Exactly. When you listen to yeah. him. <laughs> and, it's, it, it, and here's the thing this is how it shows that, you know, this, he didn't get picked up because he's wild and out in some sort of way, yeah. like in his theology or whatever. Some big loud his, mouth. Yeah, totally. His first piece for the New York Times was on um, like the fourth day of Lent. 
or something like that as because he's uh he's uh presbyterian yeah uh no uh anglican, anglican. Oh, he's ordained Sorry. in the Which anglican church better, by the way. yeah yep uh, i agree uh <laughs> and he's uh so he's ordained as uh in the anglican church and he's a canon theologian for the diocese for uh christian Hakeem's service for others yeah he is <laughs> Shout um, out to the Presby's. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, he he wrote um, he wrote this uh, he wrote this piece um, and it, it, about the liturgical liturgical calendar, very much from his location as like an Anglican, and uh, and it, you know that's just not interesting to a whole lot of people. Probably not also to a whole lot of people in the New York Times who are reading the New York Times, and that's what got him picked up. And so he's just, but he, so he's faith, just like you said, Hakeem, he's faithful. He's just faithful to what he feels like he's been called to and what God is, is, yep. is having him, yeah. um, is having him do. And I feel like it's his, his faithfulness to like a really, not intelligent in terms of like, ooh, aren't you clever? But like just good mm-hmm. hermeneutic and relationship with the Bible and his tradition and his culture that is actually enabling him to be a really prophetic voice in our time. He's one of those people I want, like, I want to listen to because I feel like God's gonna show us some stuff through them. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I should, I should. Uh, sorry, I, I misspoke. It was his first article was called "The Bloody Fourth Day of Christmas." Thank that you. was that was his first uh, New York Times Maybe piece we'll that link got to him that in the notes as well. Uh, yeah, and so so anyway, so he's doing that, and then. Uh, and then he also just realized, like, he has kids. He has four kids. And uh, he just realized that in all of this and his kind of coming up to fame, his kids obviously have questions because they're starting to hear his dad's name in, in the media a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to ask more questions. And as they started asking more questions, he was like, oh, well, I'm doing this for my kids, but maybe other other people have kids who, you know, would want to be able to answer some of these questions. Mm-hmm. So then he started writing a children's book. So Tyndale House just picked him up to write um, a children's book. I just agreed. This is a his uh, tweet. And people I, like this, I'm like, if I could write one kid's book in my lifetime, I feel like I'd be doing well. <laughs> and he's yeah. just like popping stuff out. Uh-huh. So productive. You get a you get a, a writer. You, you get a writer. So you ashamed. get a writer. He's yeah. Oprah yeah, right yeah. now. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> uh, he says it's it will tell the story of God's love of ethnic diversity and His concern for the poor, His justice, and His compassion. That's what his children's book is about. Yeah. And if you're mad at that, like yeah. read your Bible. Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's all just, I'm gonna say on that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Just 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 in case if you're like, why is he writing on that? Like, it matters. It does. Kids are asking questions, especially kids that look like me and mm-hmm. like him. And like other members of my family, right? Like these questions and topics matter. Yeah. And if you if you so. don't see that those topics matter, or if you don't think that they're in the Bible, here's why: because you're reading in your own social location, you haven't read in somebody else's, mm-hmm. and your own social location probably doesn't include those things. Yeah, yeah, because you haven't experienced them, yeah. so you haven't had to read those. You haven't been forced to ask those questions of the biblical text. Yeah, and that and that that's kind of the big thing that I just want to yeah. like. Esau Macaulay is so good at doing this and saying that his own social location is not the only social location. Right. But, and just to go back, it's kind of full circle here on the whole black theology versus why is there not like a white theology. 
it's because he gets the most pushback on this, like on the Washington Post piece where he said why Bible translations should have a diversity of scholars who are on the translation team is he starts off with saying, because we all read in our own social location and he got pushback from James White saying like, well, that's just not true. No, it is true. Mm-hmm. But for James White, uh, it just so happens that his last name is White, but he's a white guy. He's been reading in his own social location, but the reason why he hasn't had to think about the fact that he's reading his own social location is because that's the broad majority of everybody else's social location and the broad majority of most theologians' social location. So so we've all just been getting that social location thinking that that's the neutral zone, yep. that all these people have been doing theology from the neutral zone of well, it's not a neutral zone. It's been white theology. So if we were to do a class yeah. on white theology, we would be doing a case, we would be doing a class on theology as it has been done yeah. <laughs> yeah. by the broad majority yeah. of biblical scholars and biblical theologians in the uh, West. Across. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Although and you talk about the neutral zone and that confuses me because I think of the Romulans and Star Trek. So like my, head's, my head's going off somewhere <laughs> oh, else at this point. <laughs> So that because we were out of time, that can be my last thought, Hakeem. Oh, yeah. yeah, say something uh, good. Um, <laughs> just two two real quick thoughts. Um, black people for the most part are gonna read Exodus, the Exodus story, mm-hmm. uh, very differently because it's about a liberation of an enslaved people. Mm-hmm. They read that very differently. Or even when Jesus says, or whoever quote it might have been Jesus, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I don't remember who says that, but that's gonna sound different to an ear from somebody from my mm-hmm. social location. Or when you read Paul's text, when he starts talking about slavery and servanthood and all of that stuff, like when he gets into slaves, obey your masters, that's going to hit my ears differently. Mm-hmm. Those texts, yeah. if you don't talk about them carefully, are what literally stray people away from coming to faith in Jesus from my social location. Yeah, And both my social locations, I'm from an Afro-Indigenous family, natives and blacks. Mm-hmm. You hear these... The conquest is going to hit the Joshua was going to hit different yeah. to some of my other family members. Yep. It's going to hit different. And this is my very last thought. Even He's outside. Preach on, watch out. Oh, here Podcast. it goes. <laughs> here it goes. Here it goes. Um, <laughs> and I'll just end with this. Uh, outside of Carl Ellis, Esau, Emmanuel, I know we just uh, named three black dudes. My favorite black theologians are black grandmothers. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to end it there. That gets talked about by so many black theologians. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, someone asked Esau at a conference, yep. uh, who's your favorite black theologian? Is it James Cone? And he was like, you could just see the frustration in his face <laughs> and like I hear it in his roll. voice. I see the eye He roll. was just like, oh my God, do I have to answer this James Cone question again? Yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, he's not the whole of the black tradition. Yeah. He's great. He he brought it to most people's attention, but he's not the whole of the tradition. Y'all got to get out of the, like the James Cone like weird world that you're in, where he's like the only black guy who's ever writing yeah. theology mm-hmm. at his level. Like he was like, you want to know who the best black theologians are? The local pastors wherever you're living at who mm-hmm. are black. Yep. Just go talk to your black pastors. Mm-hmm. Who are near you? They exist. If you don't know they exist, that's your problem. It's not because there aren't black pastors in your area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even if you live in a mostly white, there, Portland's everywhere. a white city. Yeah, there are black pastors here. Yeah, go talk to them, yeah. men and women. Yep, yep. Go talk. go talk to them. So I'm going to finish with one other shout out, which is so we've highlighted three people, 
and could have talked about loads of others. And maybe the three we highlighted, you're like, ah, they all sound boring. So what else is there? So we've got an awesome community group at Westside and they okay. they yep. center the, like their mission around helping this racial justice, racial awareness, like all theological diversity, like all this stuff. And I don't know if you all are doing it because Ryan and Hakeem are in this community. Uh, I don't know if you're doing it the whole month, but I have noticed you've been like once a day highlighting someone awesome. So mm. I'm going to, we'll put a link in the notes to this community because they've got a Facebook group. So get mm -hmm. on there, follow that, join in with the conversation. And if you want more, like hit me up for some other recommendations, that big next best place to go. Yep. Uh, we also have a website. We have our Facebook group and stuff, but we also have... Uh, and a website. There we go. A uh, website. So uh, we'll get that link to well. Racial justice community. Yeah, yeah, even if you don't want something else to read, go check that out as well. Yeah. Because, and join um, in. We follow got that. a list of resources, all that jazz. Cool. All right, thanks for listening. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. This is a well-oiled machine today. Yeah, it is. Sorry. <laughs> I just shamelessly plugged myself in an article I wrote, and then I was like, well, that was that was uncool. I shut that down. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, go read some of this stuff and enjoy being rich. See you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the House of Learning podcast. This podcast is produced by A Jesus Church College, based at Westside A Jesus Church in Portland, Oregon. AJC College trains and mobilizes the next generation of kingdom leaders through an accredited four-year degree in biblical studies with an emphasis on leadership and formation. We combine classroom learning with mentoring and ministry apprenticeship for a third of the cost of traditional college. To find out more, Go to ajccollege.org or follow us on Instagram to find out if this is where God could be calling you to explore your calling. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share it with someone. And if you have a question you'd like us to chat about, please let us know. You can email us at podcast at ajccollege.org. If you can, send us a 20-second audio recording saying who you are and where you're from along with your question, and we'd love to include it in a future episode.